Blog Talk Radio. This is It's Your Fault for Listening. I hope you can hear me. I hope the microphone is working uh, well today. Uh, my name is Travis Simmons, also known as The Big Funny. Uh, you are listening to It's Your Fault for Listening. <laughs> uh, uh, that means that uh, if you get offended by something said on this show, then you have to tell people, well, and I'd ask you, what was the show you were offended by? Uh, it's your fault for listening. Shut up. <laughs> uh, today's topic, uh, home math. Uh, who's hating on coming to America? And this is Wake and Bake Sunday on It's Your Fault for Listening. I'm really torn between calling it Your Fault for Listening and It's Your Fault for Listening. I like It's Your Fault for Listening. It's kind of like the James O'Dell We're going to talk about coming to America, who's hating on coming to America, and why. Okay? Uh, when you try to figure out why someone's hating on coming to America, uh, what you realize is that uh, they're hating on something that was never supposed to be made. Eddie Murphy and Arsenio talked about uh, what you realize uh, is that uh, never doing coming to America. They talked about it. They said they were not going to mess up a classic. Well, uh, some people they did. Uh, I think that if you are going to judge coming to America, you got to pick something to judge it uh, uh, against. Um, and I think there is nothing to compare it to. What I mean by that is this. What other movie has a sequel? It came 33 years after the first sequel. Okay. Uh, I think um, Planet of the Apes had, uh, came out in like 1968 and uh, 1964. And, uh, and Planet of the Apes had, had like its fifth sequel in like 2014. And people say the 2014 version was better than the 1968 version. And yeah, uh, instead of having... Um, characters looking like uh, members of uh, presidential cabinets, uh, according to Roseanne, uh, mixed with uh, Muslim Brotherhood. <laughs> that's what you got. I don't know why I bring that up right now, but that's what Roseanne got taken out for. Roseanne got taken out for describing, saying to somebody what they look like, and they took her show off the air for a while. Uh, I don't really get that. Uh, and all the news, I think this is going to get kind of into about uh, information wars and how different people get different information, information is not even, uh, maybe even true. Uh, all the news media said that Roseanne called the woman the monkey. Roseanne never said the monkey. She said that the woman looked like what if Planet of the Apes and the Muslim Brotherhood had a baby. Now, that ain't something nice to say about somebody. And she didn't say the woman's name, but she put her initials in the tweet. And uh, I'm just saying... Uh, as a comedian, how is Roseanne given the same punishment as Bill Cosby? That don't make no sense to me at all. Um, it's just silence, silencing the creative persons. Uh, I don't know Roseanne's politics. I think her politics might even differ from mine, but she gets to say this. And who hasn't said what Roseanne looks like? 
I mean, people say, I mean, here, I can do it right now. Uh, Roseanne looks like what if the lunch lady in a lumberjack had a baby? You know, what, I should be banned for that? No. It's your fault for this. Uh, so while waiting for some guest hosts to arrive, I, uh, I want to talk about coming to America. I made a list of uh, 30 things, non-spoiler things, that are reasons why uh, some people are hating on coming to America. How about that? Uh, like I said, first of all, let's start with this. I can only compare coming to America, coming to America, uh, the sequel to coming to America, uh, with other very loved prequels having sequels that went from rated R with nakedness and lots of cussing to PG-13 with no nakedness or, or and very little cussing. Um, so let's start, let's start there. That's where I would start. That'd be the first thing I would say. Uh, the next thing that I would say about coming to America is uh, it's a very different movie. Uh, no spoilers of content, but if I'm not mistaken, I would bet that Arsenio has maybe as many lines, if not more lines, than Eddie Murphy in the movie. And there are multiple new characters added to a sequel that had a bunch of old characters who needed to have lines. And I thought that they did an absolutely wonderful job. But the music was wonderful. There are some amazing um, scenes that I've never seen in any other movie, uh, unique things. Uh, what it looked like to me is that, uh, well, first of all, people hating on I saw people hating on the movie before the movie was almost released uh, in, in the comment section. And my first thought was, oh, those are probably people working for some other motion picture company or some other video streaming service just trying to hate on something before uh, anybody gets to see it to stop you from going to go see it or watch it. Um, I've seen this happen a lot of times. Sometimes it happens like with Denzel movies, uh, like uh, pre-pandemic. A Denzel movie, the bootleg, a good, crispy, high-quality copy would be at the barbershops uh, the Friday before the movie. Uh, the Friday movie came out. And you're wondering, who's doing that? And why would they do that? It's just folks trying to hate on on on, on Black movies. Also, people hate on this movie. They uh, would have to um, have maybe not really loved the first movie in the first place, not like Eddie Murphy for some reason. Um, I, I'm scrolling down. Uh, my uh, Facebook page, facebook.com uh, slash the big fun. Here we go. Trying to find uh, the reason. You know, I'll go back and check see if any co-hosts have arrived in the studio. They have not. So now I will just uh, read off my list of items. The reason people say they don't like coming to America. A, they hate Amazon. B, they are working for some other video service or motion picture company. B1, they don't like watered-down things. 
Uh, the movie should have been R, but Eddie Murphy can't make a, a movie with naked women washing uh, penises five minutes into the movie, like Coming to America was in 1988. That was 20 years before the Me Too movement. Eddie Murphy ain't Trump. Uh, next one. Uh, some people don't like to watch movies watered down for the global market. This movie is watered down for the global market, but they have to in these days. Uh, this movie is, uh, you know, one of those few major star-having movies that can even generate uh, interest uh, in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, another reason people probably won't like this movie is some men hate strong women. There are a lot of strong women characters in this movie. Uh, another reason is spoiler alert. Uh, some women want to stay mad at the other mother who they share the penis with and, and have kids, you know, uh, that are um, brothers and sisters, but different moms. Another reason, if you are under 35 and not black, uh, you probably never loved the first movie in the first place. You, know, you might get to get you saw, but you don't love it, you know. Uh, over 40, black or white, uh, in America, you probably love the first one. Uh, another reason, uh, you, you might have watched the original in the last week, and you can't separate the two, and you really didn't need to, uh, spoiler alert, because they, they call back the original movie a few times. Uh, another reason you, you might not like the movie is you never watched uh, the movie Trading Places, so you were lost quickly um, at the things that were going on in the movie. Another reason. You were not a teen in the 80s, so you were also lost quick. Another reason, you you never watched Eddie Murphy on Saturday Night Live. Uh, You never watched Good Times, and you don't know how funny Louis Anderson really is. Uh, Another reason, you probably don't know that uh, the movies Barbershop 1, Barbershop 2, Beauty Shop were all based in and on uh, the Coming to America barbershop, uh, lady shop scene. Okay, spoiler alert. Uh, you probably never watched um, Benson or Soap or uh, Eddie Murphy's old movies. You don't have his um, Eddie Murphy stand-up was not one of the things that like um, was in the water cooler uh, talking to you having watched it on HBO back when it came out. Next reason. I don't know. Uh, you have no appreciation for the acting excellence of, uh, I think her name is Sherry Headley. She plays the queen in the original movie, and, she, and she's Queen Lisa. You know, she tore this movie up. She did a great job. Um, next reason. Maybe you couldn't see all the female positive themes mixed in quickly throughout the plot uh, to make uh, them seem regular. Uh, another reason, you didn't notice the costumes, the music, the camera work, the animation, the choreography, the sets, the comedic timing, and the tasks of making a sequel of something we already love. I mean, the soundtrack is so slamming. Uh, there's one scene when somebody walks in a room, and if I'm not mistaken, I was hearing Chuck D from Public Enemy on a song in a movie, walking in. It was great. The performances, oh my goodness, the performances. Arsenio does a great job. Uh, 
you know, the original movie was basically looking at Andy Murphy uh, the whole time. Kind of like, you know, when somebody's a superstar, that you get movies where it's just looking at their face. Uh, six four six, your line is open. Hey, Travis, it's Carmella. Hey, Carmella. You watch the movie? Yes. And so I've been trying to do a, a non-spoilery uh, list. I got a couple more items on my list that I posted on Facebook you might have seen. Uh, Arsenio played three roles, maybe had more screen time than Eddie. Uh, the first movie, Eddie was in every scene. That's a whole different movie. It's not even the same kind of movie, right? So when you do that. So when you have Eddie Murphy not being in every scene, and you have to go from rated R to PG-13, and Eddie Murphy has a daughter in the movie. Spoiler alert, Eddie Murphy's real daughter is the, uh, one of the princesses, the one wearing glasses. She did a great job. Um, I thought they did what they could do as fast as they got it done without having to construct a bunch of scenes to show the outside world of Samantha. That I mean, that would uh, take the budget into um, what's the movie with the blue people? That's supposed to be a representation of the Native Americans. Oh, the Avatar. Avatar, yeah, Avatar. Fern uh, uh, Gully without the wings. <laughs> <laughs> you know. I never heard it described like that, but that's good. No, that's not mine. Somebody else said that, but I, I forgot who said it. I would take credit for somebody else's stuff, but that was, it was brilliant. It was what my, my mental Rolodex, you know, somebody mentioned something in my Rolodex, and it's like the best way something was ever said pops into my head. Uh, that's why I wrote in the description that on today, Wakey Big Sunday, we also might pop in a James Baldwin quote or a little Robert Green Ingersoll. I like Robert Green Ingersoll. I uh, posted one of his quotes yesterday on Urban. I got to drink some coffee because I, have my, I haven't had the weight to my bake. So I'm going to do the, I'm gonna do the weight. Drink a little coffee. Uh, uh, here's James Baldwin quote. Uh, white people are trapped in a history they don't understand. And that's why starting, um, I think we're, we might be able to do it next week. Uh, maybe starting on Tuesday, we'll start White History Week. <laughs> but like Jen said We, uh, we, we were going to do White History Week in uh, August I think that right now We're after Black History Month You know, I really think it is wonderful by the way That uh, uh, Eddie Murphy Had the uh, forethought To release Coming to America On February 32nd An extension <laughs> of Black History Month <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, Also the, the difference between an R-rated movie and a P-13 movie is is vastly different in what you can do or get away with, right? So, an R-rated movie in 1980 had naked breasts of three different women in the first, you know, five minutes of the movie. Uh, I don't know if you can do that today in an R-rated movie, but I bet you Eddie Murphy ain't going to be sitting there with his daughter doing that. You know? Well, I think also, like, I think you and I talked about this a little bit the other day. It was like Eddie had a lot had a has a lot of of we'll just call it baggage. <laughs> Movie gravitas. Uh, Movie gravitas. Yes. Yes. And so I think 
for him to do the movie nowadays, if he did it like he did in 88, he would get slammed. You know, you're exactly right. So, actually, he was actually uh, scheduled to play, here's some spoiler alert stuff, he was supposed to be the villain, okay? Eddie Murphy was uh, in their planning of this movie, from what I have read and listened to in interviews. Eddie Murphy was supposed to be um, Wesley Snipes' part, and because they had so much fun on the set of Dolomite Is My Name, or My Name Is Dolomite, I forgot which one um, probably Dolomite Is My Name, uh, that they went straight from making that movie into making this movie, uh, and you know, uh, and Eddie Murphy relinquished a part of General Azizi, I think the title his name is in the movie, uh, and gave that to Wesley Snipes, and it worked so much better. The uh, spoiler alert: you wouldn't have the dancing if if uh, uh, if, uh, if Eddie's playing that role. You know what I mean? And you'd be mm-hmm. we'd be looking at Eddie Murphy arguing with himself. And um, and it, it, it ain't going to be the same. You know, he'd be arguing with himself in the barbershop scenes. He'd be arguing himself in the palace. You know, uh, spoiler, spoiler, super spoiler. Turn it off if you haven't seen the movie and come back later uh, to the 18-minute mark of this show. Uh, the scene. Uh, well, to me, the, the scene that makes the whole movie for me, the scene that had me almost tired crying, the scene that had me almost crying, had a tear uh, uh, just almost creasing the edge of my eye socket was the scene of the funeral. They decided to have James O. Jones, King Joffrey Joffer have his funeral while he's alive because he's dying. I mean, so that, that, was actually, that was actually brilliant. I liked how they did that. Have you ever, and you're a movie watcher from way back. You, you've watched uh, tons of different movies. Have you ever seen a movie that uh, did that? I, honestly, I can't recall that. But the way the way they did it, I, I, I really like the way that scene played out. Like, you know, in a way it was like, if you think about it, when you hear about old people passing away, you know, it was like, yeah. In a way, it was like thinking about assisted suicide. Like, I have control of how I die. Yeah. I mean, of, think about it. It was kind of like that. I don't know if that was, in, like, intentional, but that's kind of how it, it jived with me. It was like, the king is going to die on his terms, and he wanted a funeral for himself as he's going out. Correct. And uh, it'll be amazing. It'll be, and it was amazing. I mean, it's, uh, look, basically, this movie is more of a celebration of uh, black excellence in a lot of different ways from the past. You know what I mean? All the different, since we're already in spoiler mode here, that funeral scene, let's just talk about the funeral scene for a minute. Come on. Morgan Freeman, please. Morgan Freeman, uh, in Vogue. Salt and Pepper, Gladys Knight. Oh, come on. Just that scene alone in other movies would be the finale. 
you know, you know and I mean? also if I if, yeah, and also on top of that, I think not just that scene, but any of those royal gathering scenes kind of threw it back to the Remember the Time video from Michael Jackson. One hundred percent. And Remember the Time video. How about this? The Remember the Time video is, uh, from what I understand, the only like big budget music video ever. All black cast, all black crew. Mm-hmm. Okay. And in many of the interviews uh, talking uh, about this movie leading up to it, uh, Eddie Murphy said that um, Coming to America was supposed to be an all-black movie. And Coming to America is basically the only all-black American movie that was a hit all over the world. Because people all around the world, they don't care about, you know, uh, uh, Brooklyn Negro stories. <laughs> you know what I mean? Hey, hey. You know, hey, you know? Uh, look, there are other problems. So if you just want to talk about, we, we could talk about like the uh, the problems with trying to make a movie off of a classic in the first place, right? Um, sequels of blockbusters uh, are difficult and rarely surpass the original in box office, in being loved, uh, you know, the only movie that I can think of that was a sequel that uh, came, like, uh, after the movie and did way better than the movie, like, way better, goofy amounts better, would be Lethal Weapon 2. Right? Lethal Weapon 1, Lethal Weapon 1 was actually a video store hit. Okay? It was a hit in the video store, right? So, you're in the video store, it's a Friday night or Saturday afternoon, you're picking your movie, and there's uh, Mel Gibson and, and Danny Glover, uh, and, you know, guns and stuff. That's a good, that, that's a good purchase back in the 80s. And, Pete, and, and Lethal Weapon is actually a good, good movie. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a buddy film. It's the black and white buddy. You know what I mean? It's a... Uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, and then... Lethal Weapon 2 is actually a good movie with a good plot, okay? And Lethal Weapon 2 made so much money that I think they did Lethal Weapon 3 uh, where they added Joe Pesci and then they did Lethal Weapon 4 where they added Rene Russo and Chris Rock. Okay. Okay. Here's the mess about coming to America uh, that people uh, don't know what they're disliking. I do get people disliking some of it, but their but their reasoning for disliking it isn't right. Like if you want to not like it because it felt like um, you're watching a comedian doing a clean set, but you forgot he was doing a clean set and you wanted to hear him say uh, mf'er and. Matter of fact, in the movie, spoiler alert, Tracy uh, uh, Morgan, who does a wonderful job in the movie, along with Wesley Snipes, uh, uh, Leslie, what's her name, uh, from Saturday Night Live? Leslie Jones. Leslie Jones tears this movie up, okay? She tears this movie up. And also what you got to know about this movie is that they making this movie, they made this movie pre-pandemic. And the plan was, after this movie, to start touring the, com- the Coming to America comedy tour and all of them do a little stand-up and then that way, you know, Eddie wouldn't have to do 
you know, an hour 15 of stand-up. He could do 15, 20, kind of build his chops. Because you kind of got to do that to stand-up. You can't just, like, uh, most people through this pandemic have not been doing uh, their art. And, you know, like, but a musician can still be practicing at home. So after a year of not performing live, a musician can come out with some new stuff and, and tear you up. Comedian, on the other hand, has a little harder time doing that because, um, you know, people think that comedy is a monologue, but it's really a dialogue, and the audience part in that dialogue is do ha or not. And uh, it would be pretty difficult trying to get somebody to ha uh, uh, let somebody ha on you right now. So how you can practice? I've been practicing a lot in the grocery stores. Like I'll pop in a grocery store and and figure out a way to uh, comedy bully my way into making somebody forget their grocery list. <laughs> They're doing Beta or Louis Armstrong. Oh, here's one of the things I liked about it that the the the, uh, the cameos, the cameos that were cameos, but actually characters in the plot. You know what I mean? To push the movie mm-hmm. forward. Um, uh, Trevor Noah. I didn't know he was in it. Um, he was in it uh, far more than I thought he would be. Like you know, when you saw him, yeah. when you saw when you saw him the second time, you're going, he's back. He's in it twice. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. The black folks sitting at the table, uh, like the Brooklyn folks, not the barbers, but the other folks. Those are comedians. Lunell, uh, the family, his, his, the, yeah. the family, yeah, yeah, yeah. They were going, yeah. And... yeah. Those they could all destroy comedy rooms solo, hour, hour and a half, two hours, whatever they want to do, you know. And uh, it was brilliant to have them in it. I thought uh, the way they mixed the two movies together, the way he. You know, could they have taken some more time to make it another all-time great movie? Sure, but you would have had to have let it be rated R, like the first one, and then that the rated R-ness, you would have had to add some some um, Game of Thrones type violence, you know, done by Wesley Snipes killing folks, you know, in order to add the uh, the tension a little bit. You know what I mean? Um. Uh, you know, people said it felt like a Tyler Perry movie. I know what they're saying because, like the, um, if you're a movie lover, you know, you're watching a movie. The scenes in a movie, you know, you got the uh, exterior shot, the far away shot. It was really quick and dirty. You know what I mean? It seemed like uh, you would think that it was a low budget movie, but it's not because they spent the money. Look. They could not do a bunch of exterior sets and have all those costumes and have the wonderful music and soundtrack done by Niall Rogers. Look, the soundtrack is done by Niall Rogers. Uh, uh, we watched the uh, we watched Coming to America at the Icor Cafe with uh, uh, Lydia and Baby Squirrel and uh, Seattle Jesus and. Uh, uh, one of the questions I was asked was by, uh, by uh, not Lydia, but uh, Leah. Uh, she asked me, 
she's from the country Georgia. She said, uh, has Eddie Murphy been like a, a hardcore uh, villain in any movie? And I said, uh, no, uh, Eddie Murphy's Bugs Bunny. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, he's a hero. You know what I mean? He's a uh, he's Lucy. You know what I mean? I, I mean, I bet you uh, uh, Lucille Ball could have played uh, Corella Deville. You know what I mean? And torn it up. You know what I mean? But um, you know, Lucy, uh, Eddie Murphy, uh, Robin <coughs> Robin Williams played a couple of villains and did a good job at it. <laughs> um, I don't know if I can see Dave Chappelle playing a villain in a, 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 a in a movie, un, unlike uh, Eddie Murphy, where you're just kind of playing a villain against yourself. You know what I mean? Because uh, people love you and what you do so much that they are willing to look at you and happy to look at you for an hour and a half. Um, and that's what uh, this movie was to me. I mean, I'm, I love, I've been loving Eddie Murphy since his, you know, uh, first album. You know, since he was first on Saturday Night Live, uh, Golden Child. I went to nine. Beverly Hills Cop. Um, I saw Beverly Hills Cop in uh, was it called? Roman's Chinese Theater in Hollywood. On the second day of it being released, how about that? Um, I was in the Marines and took a cab from Oceanside, California, down to the theater to go watch uh, Eddie Murphy in Hollywood. Got there on the first night, but it was like 1:45 a.m. Showing. Fell asleep in the theater. Came back the next morning, was second person in line to watch the first show. I think it was Cop 2. What's one of the lines from Beverly Hills Cop 2? Most memorable line would be when Bridget Nielsen is in the uh, gun range and uh, Eddie Murphy's looking at her, kind of leaned over, shooting that big giant gun and goes, That's a big bitch. (laughs) You know? But, and so, think about this. You have a classic movie made by comedy and acting American royalty. The first movie was made when he was a single young man at the uh, at the height of his uh, superstardom, right? And the second movie mm-hmm. is made 33 years. Ten kids, and you know, I don't know, fifteen, twenty movies later, man, and somebody got the nerve to hate on it. Like, I mean, what were they expecting? You know, well, um, people gonna hate no matter what. People are always gonna hate. Mm-hmm. You know, there's stuff that that they don't like. You know, like I told you how I felt. I felt. I like I liked the film. I didn't think it was great. I liked it. I felt it was heavily edited. And like I felt there were gaps. But that's me being more like film critic or whatever. It's not like, you know, right. every day. You know? But at the same time, like you can appreciate you, you 
you could appreciate what what the story was. You could appreciate the characters that are in it. Even though I thought like more needed to be developed, I still appreciated it. But you're gonna have people that are gonna hate no matter what because they don't like Eddie Murphy. They don't like you know. They don't like the topic. They don't like oh, it's all black film. There's gonna be people that are like that. I think the other thing to appreciate. So I think the other thing to appreciate that when the first film was done. At the time, the budget was like like thirty five million dollars to do all that that they did back then. Mm-hmm. That comes out to like seventy seven. I mean, thirty five million. Sorry, not thousand. Thirty five million dollars. That comes out to seventy seven million dollars today, which is more. like way more. Wait, wait, wait. Which is like a third wait. of what Avatar's budget was. Wait a minute. The first movie's budget was thirty five million. Right? Thirty-five million. So if you take inflation, the inflation to today, that film would have cost, if made today, seventy-seven million dollars. Wow. So that's still one third of of a film like Avatar, you know. Um, and if you look at what it would have cost today, the budget for Coming to America Two was around sixty million dollars. Which, if it was back in eighty-eight that would be a little over $27 million, which technically would say that it would have cost less <laughs> to make the sequel, which is normal in, in a lot of sequels. Um, it was less. So to have well, the budget that they have to put all that they did. Right, but think about it. How much well, did Eddie get? No, I'm just saying that they would just start going through it, right? You had to, yeah. so Eddie got to get something, a chunk. And you got to give Arsenio a chunk. You got to give mm-hmm. all the other actors who was in the previous. You got to give James Earl Jones a chunk, you know, for his family, right? Um, yep. You got to, you got to kick Morgan Freeman out some cash for being in there. And then, here I'm gonna skip over everything. Then you got to pay for the costumes and the music. Yep. yep. So we have to see what the box office take is gonna be. Right. To show how much profit they made. Right. So they made this movie thinking it was going to be in the theater. Right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Got to, that's why it got delayed because of COVID. Mm-hmm. Well, think about this. How much money, actually, how much money did Wesley get? You know what I mean? Wesley had to get paid. The director had to get mm-hmm. paid. All the producers, <laughs> all the writers. Mhm. Because I think one of the one of the uh, one of the folks from because it's the original the two original guys that wrote the screenplay for the '88 film are part of it, and then Kenya Barris from Blackish, the creator of Blackish, is uh is the other writer on the screenplay. So you have to pay him. Right. And they did a good. He did a great job. Of look, you know how hard it is to edit something down so it's not um, cussy content. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, like, uh, I've done shows before where um, I was still to be the feature performer, which meant there was a headliner after me doing 45 minutes, I would be 30. And it was like, it was like a little hotel. But the headliner didn't show up. And so... What happened was I had to do the whole thing, and so I had to do an hour 
2015 went uh, clean when I was planning to do 30 minutes. And somewhere in there, there was a brother in the front row, and he just he just he couldn't help himself, and he just said out loud, "Hey man, why are you holding back?" See what uh, bookers do. They'll tell the comedians to be clean, but they won't tell the audience they're coming to a clean show. And there's something really uh, not okay about that. You know what I mean? Um, It's almost like a setup. It is a setup. Setting up the talent. It It sets up the performer really bad because Okay, so you got a babysitter, uh, and you're taking your loved one out for their birthday. You know, this is like one of the two or three times a year you're going to go out. If you are adults, for the most part, you ain't going out to see somebody uh, be squeaky clean. You know what I mean? I, I, I get people not one of the comedians to be throwing um, sex in her face off the top. That, that makes sense, okay? Uh, but sometimes when you are a young comedian, that's the uh, first thing you get everybody on, on, on the page with. That's why in the beginning of Coming to America, the original, you got uh, people, you got naked breasts and washing dicks right off the top, right? Uh, people said as a kid when they saw that movie, the line they remembered, the world penis is clean, your highness. Mm-hmm. So they got to bring all that. Sh- they got to bring back callbacks from a movie from 33 years ago and make it funny in 2021 when the original was in 1988. That don't even make. No wonder Eddie Murphy and Arsenio shook that they would never do it. It doesn't even make any sense. Yeah, it makes sense to me. It's, it's interesting to kind of see see that. I went to see John Waters. I want to say it was like five, six years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had to play called City Winery, so you can go eat dinner. At, you know, you sit at a table, you eat dinner, and then you catch the show. So we sat. We were sat down, and we were sat across from an older couple, they were in their late 70s, and their son had given them tickets. They had no clue who John Waters was. Um, like, oh, they gave us tickets, they thought we would have a good time, they told us there was a comedian, but we don't know anything about who he is. Right. And so, so Carlos gives background, because he thought it was funny, like, why, why wouldn't their son tell him? And the wife was like, well, I hope it's not too raunchy. And Carl was like, it's, it's going to get it's gonna get a little wild, but I think you'll enjoy it. And so after his set, the wife was like, oh, my God, I loved it. I appreciate you telling me who he was. And then she wanted to, she said something that she wanted to see his films and stuff. Who was um, the comedian? But John Waters, you know, the filmmaker, comedian. He, you know, he does like this Christmas show every year, usually. Oh wow! I know. And he does like I, a whole stand-up act. Wow. You know, a lot yeah, of yeah, it's great. You know. Yeah, he does yeah. a whole stand-up act. 
for like an hour plus, and then you can ask them questions at the end for like a half hour, and it's cool. Okay, that makes sense because no, John Waters, I, I would think that he had all kinds of stories too. Oh yeah, yeah, and you could, like I said, you could at the end, he's like picking people from the audience to ask questions about his life, his career, what have you, and he's very blunt. And it's not like people are set up to ask questions. Like, like I've had friends like ask him like random stuff, like about Atomic Comics in Baltimore, because that's where he had like his fan mail go, or talking right. about when he met somebody. You know, like really, yeah. really great stories. But he's he's hitting them hard. You know, talking about sex, talking about drugs, talking about whatever. And so when I had this couple like. Like it's almost a bit like they weren't told, and they're asking us as young people, like, "Why are you here? Why do you like him?" <laughs> um, and then to see how she appreciated that, right? You know, you know, the same time I was like, "Why didn't you tell your mother that <laughs> what she was trying to get?" So yeah, you're right. You're right. Um, uh, Tim uh, on one, on the, uh, Facebook wrote. Uh, spoiler alert, he said uh, about coming to America too, or coming to America, uh, he said uh, he he did feel that Queen Lisa's part was pretty underwritten. Oh, well, I felt the same. Well, I told you, I felt the character, the character development was off. But I think, that's made, I think that might also be partly due to editing. Right. Well, so, so look, because, they probably could have edited they probably had to edit it for content to get it down from R. Uh, uh, uh. And uh, they had to edit it um, for time, maybe. You know, the movie yeah, probably was, was 2.45. Look, um, what sequel is shorter than, than, than the first one? You know what I mean? I mean, they must have taken there out a, part. There was a lot of stories, and I think I think there's just a way too many stories to be told in that such short period of time. But we're also looking at something from like a 33 year span. Right. Well, think about it. If they really did a movie, like let's say they did it right away, Coming to America 2, like in 1990, then. You could have them trying to have a baby and it's a girl, you know what I mean, and shit like that. You can have, uh, you can have um, the queen learning about Zamunda as we, the audience, learns about Zamunda. But it's thirty-three years later; she got to be in in full queen bloom. It's regular for her. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, and it was more about the, you know, um, it was more about the young girls and mixing the Black Panther movie and them being, you know, getting their Jackie Chan on, you know what I mean? And and waiting for uh, Wesley Snipes to do his Negro Rada. You know what I mean? Uh, waiting to bust out with some of that Blade uh, Passenger 57 stuff. So, yeah, I mean, and they had to add new characters. I mean, I would not have wanted the task to make something like this sequel. 
because I, I don't see how you can win, no matter what. And I think that's what they figured out uh, and why they had planned to not do it in the first place. Um, all right. Well, that's a... Uh, Let's see, what else can I say about the movie without just talking, telling about the whole movie? Um, you know, one of the ladies wearing red, I think, that was like throwing uh, rose petals. She was one of the original rose petal throwers. I mean, you had to bring all those people back. You had to bring the barbershop dudes back. You know what I mean? Oh, you're talking about Garcelle Beauvais. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, think about this. Think about how much money you had to pay the hairstylist, the wig maker, the dressmakers, the material. You know what I mean? The jewelry, the fake jewelry makers. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of that part of the budget that normally would be used to... Uh, film secure a location, it had to go into some other part of the budget, right? So this movie is heavy on great music. I mean, everybody's costume was the bomb. It was wonderful. Right? I mean, I can't think of anybody's outfit at all that wasn't uh, Spectacular, except for spoiler alert, the young prince, when he goes into the woods looking for the lion, he had some kind of word from a logo or label across his stuff. I was like, you know what? This is what we do. <laughs> uh, all right, well. But I, think um, that was, I think that was also a nod to like streetwear, especially, you know, he's from, he's from New York. And, you know, back in the late 80s, early 90s, you know, when streetwear was really coming up, that was a big thing, wearing the designer name. Most you know, it was like, you're you rocking FUBU, you're rocking Carl Kanai, you're rocking even going into Fat Farm and Baby Fat. That was a thing. Right. There's a whole lot of commentary about, like, how now non-black folks are finding success in street well, but streetwear while dismissing the black creators and the black designers that are coming up. I can well, you the article. Yeah, please. That, that always happens, though. I mean, basically, black folks... Yeah, yeah, but, the, but, but this, this actually right. was tied to a... This, this is actually tied to a show on Netflix, a fashion show on Netflix, that it was... How are you going to dis- disrespect the actual creator of streetwear where That's people got their influence they have to do it. It's the same reason yeah. why they disrespected the actual football player that they were representing in the movie The Blind Side. Because yeah. you got to pay them. <laughs> if you steal their stuff. If you steal their stuff and don't acknowledge them, then you, you feel like they can get to get away with it. That's how two TV shows stole my stuff on the same day. And, you know, to me, it was the there's just one that's regular. You know, they could but would two shows do it? It, it tells on the whole situation. You know, sometimes very talented people wonder why they don't get picked. Maybe because they ain't willing to steal material. But they're such an original that the powers that be know that uh, they'd have a hard time uh, dealing with that person in the first place. Um, since 
use the bathroom. We'll take a 10-minute break. But what I'm going to play for you is uh, Can I Get a Witness? Uh, 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 Carmela, Can I Get a Witness is episode one of uh, a cannabis podcast with me and Lydia. Uh, All right. Okay, check this out. This is the It's Your Fault for Listening Network. Not safe for work unless you're fucking your boss. Coming up next, Can I Get a Witness? A continuing cannabis conversation between the big funny Travis Simmons and Lydia Inslee. Hit it, Gavin. Can I get a witness? Can I be inspired? Cannabis! Cannabis! What does cannabis freedom mean to you? When I think about it, I think we wouldn't have to explain, beg, plead, or hope that someone understands what substances feel good to me don't have to feel good to you for me to consume them when I need them. Because I need them. I think that there are two parts that you can't have without each other, which is access and legality. Uh, You can have things legal, but if you don't have access to the products or to the medicine or to uh, what you are seeking as an effect, then it doesn't really matter. Uh, You've got to go down windy roads in order to get to what heals you. Right, or if they make the system so difficult or expensive to be able to attain the certifications or the allowances, some states have medical cannabis laws that are so extreme and they define medical cannabis usage as a last resort. It should be a freedom to be the first resort. You should be able to tell your doctor that you would prefer to use cannabis versus any other type of medical treatment the first time. Uh, that is not the case in the I don't want to try your pharmaceuticals. Right. I, I want to do this. I don't want to be dried out. And I want you to write down on my medical record that I'm doing these things and that these are the results that are happening from it. And most doctors have to abstain from taking that type of information or even having those conversations with their patients. So that's... Why? Uh, most of it is because they have a DEA license to prescribe narcotics that pay them a whole lot more than cannabis is going to. So it's a money thing, right? Absolutely. Uh, having a DEA license to prescribe heavy narcotics is, one, it's expensive for these providers to have paid for their education, and their jobs depend on those licenses. They can't be doctors without the ability to prescribe antibiotics, to be able to prescribe pain relievers, or chemotherapy. So they can pay their student loans. Absolutely. Uh, And if a patient comes in and says, I'm growing my own cannabis, it's working for me, and it's killing my cancer, that's not going to make that doctor any sort of money. But they're not aware that that's the baseline. There's a lot of fear-mongering amongst the medical community. Those providers are told that they'll lose their DEA license if they talk about THC, if they talk about whole plant medicine cannabis. They're allowed to refer to the term CBD, but they almost always have to talk about it as if it's a particulate isolate, which, of course, there is CBD isolate on the market. But... That's how they have to refer to it, which is really unfair to patients that are using high THC regimens to kill different types of cancers. Their doctors aren't writing that down. So if we don't have freedom of information, we don't have freedom to access, we don't have freedom to full legality, 
in Washington state. It's not uh, legal for those who are 21 and over who are legally allowed to go into a store and buy cannabis. It's not the same. They don't get to go home and grow that cannabis for themselves. Even though the law has already decided that they are a mature enough individual to consume the psychoactive particulates that that plant is going to create, uh, we've decided that people are not responsible enough uh, to grow it for themselves, which is a shame. Uh, many times I've gone to the legislature and said, well, it's kind of like tomatoes. If you're afraid of deferring money and finances from the market, look at tomatoes. Uh, most Seattleites, a lot of Seattleites, if you have uh, a back porch, if you have a backyard, a front yard, you can grow a couple of tomato plants, which means you might get 16 to 28 fucking tomatoes in your year. Right. What are the chances that you're still going to have to buy a tomato product throughout the rest of your year? A lot. A lot. Uh, and it's going to be the same way with cannabis. Cannabis isn't super easy to grow. When we say weed, that's uh, super optimistic of a term. Uh, people are going to invest a lot of money in being able to try to grow their own, and it's not going to turn out how they think. They're going to buy products. They're going to have to go <clears throat> buy gas to buy those products. Right, and nobody's going to make... Uh, tons of bubble hash in their backyard. Trust me, I've done it. It's extensive and it's painstaking and it's wet and dirty. Uh, and <laughs> so just a little gonna, bit left. Just a little bit coming. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's Perfect. a lot of products. A lot of people aren't going to want to make uh, their edibles at home. They're still going to be buying concentrates. The money from home grow is not going to affect uh, stores here in Washington. It's not going to impact them. And to be fair, there's a lot of retailers and producers that are even willing to come out and say that. But our regulatory agency, the Liquor Control Board, uh, continually uses diversion um, of resources and finances as their reason to not allow for legal home grow. Uh, they're afraid that kids are going to get it, right? It's always about save the children. If we grow marijuana, more children will use marijuana. But they got cigarettes everywhere. Well, and, and also and, and in states where consumption and and home girl was legal, there was no evidence of um elevation in teen use. We already have access to those studies. Uh so it's it's tough when a regulatory agency refuses to acknowledge again information that's allowed to them, it affects the legality and therefore it affects the access. Well, okay, well, as far as access to just regular people getting their hands on some flour, okay? Start there. Uh, before it was legal in Washington, it was as easy to get some flour as it was to order a pizza. Yep. And sometimes faster. Right. There were some places in Washington it could get delivered to your door. Quick. Quick. Yep. Okay. Um, the legality kind of put them out of, uh, out of uh, business, just be, uh, profitability. Right. You know, if they can go, if somebody can go to a store and get an ounce for uh, $35 of the cheap stuff, then they're not going to call up the wee guy. Well, the average American consumer uh, is is always going to be the consumer that wants it fast and wants it cheap and wants it available 24 hours a day. And they want the best stuff at a discount. I'm just saying that the American consumer is probably the majority is always going to err on cheap and available and this idea that there's a space in our market right now that's really going to provide for uh, connoisseur growers, uh, it's a very small place in the market. 
Well, and it's not being promoted. It's not being talked about enough. There's some really talented growers and producers out there that are going above and beyond testing their product for heavy leads and minerals. Uh, and they're doing they're doing great, but they're fourteen dollars a gram, and the average consumer, they can't they can't do that. Not can't when that. not when there's other businesses that are willing to undercut and sell out for months and months, nine months at a time, a year, of undercutting their own prices to drive out competition. There's people like that in our market right now, and they're doing it, and they're doing it successfully. They can go broke for a little while. These small guys, they can't. They can't withstand it. So we're limiting access to genetics on a daily rate that's just disgusting. Uh, we make its strains, and we promote those, and we decide the market for uh, people trying to consume a plant that they should have a wide variety to its choices. They should have the ability to design these cannabinoid profiles for them. Uh, and they should have access to the genetics that give them the best effect. And to be fair, that's not how the market is decided right now. Well, markets are never decided that way. It's, it's capitalism. How, how can it ever be righteous? <laughs> it, can't, it can't never be. You know what I'm saying? If, uh, if the powers that be had it, yeah, none of the small people would ever be growing. They'd be the only ones growing. And they would uh, import the growers in and not pay them shit. It's def- it definitely makes it hard for a person like me to try to get a job because I just want to give people's weed away. I'm just like there there should be no we should not no one should be profiting off of this. This should just be free and available to everyone. That is freedom. Free and available. That was uh, Lydia Inslee, the uh, cannabis hostess, uh, a.k.a. the death doula. Um, your line is open, Tony. Hey, what's going on, guys? Yeah, I was just, um, I mean, we we we, we got to get past this whole uh, voodoo on cannabis and uh, move, move towards what it can really do for us, like, you know. Uh, You're adding, absolutely right. Yeah. There are many screens of that people don't have any idea about. There's a strain of cannabis. Uh, the strain is called Old Toby, and it was made by mm-hmm. like some type of brain in, uh, uh, injury, uh, losing memory thing. And the strain Old Toby is uh, uh, it's uh, it erases THC intoxication. Oh wow! Yeah. So you and got so, a county counteracting? Yeah, it will unhide you. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and so uh, the lady Dawn who told me about this, um, she's a medical cannabis person for like you know some years, and uh, she said that basically when um, the guy who did the study with the uh, old Toby strain, he did it like uh, Burpee did with the cherry tomato, but he couldn't do you know, as many um, uh, strange levels, uh, aversions, you know, as, as he mm-hmm. could. And um, basically she said that because of this information, we got to forget everything we know about cannabis and start over because it just became legal and the scientists have not had a chance to uh, to get it. Like she said, yeah. you know, yeah. you know, like I personally – I'd rather have a head high where I'm creative and thinking rather than a, than a couch high where I'm sunk into the couch. 
And uh, she, well, see, said, what... she said that, uh, you know, if you want one that uh, helps you with pain or allows you to relax and go to sleep, she said she wants one where you can take a, a, a capsule and when you take it, you better be laying down or headed towards laying down because you're going to be asleep. She wants it to be that good, right? But it, but natural yeah. cannabis, not just yeah. um, uh, profit-led pharmaceuticals. Um, yeah. Uh, the timing. So you haven't seen coming to America, or coming to America yet, but you probably did see a lot of people hating on it. Oh, I seen it. Oh, you saw it. Great. Yeah, I saw it. Uh last night okay um i think the only way to compare it to other movies is you got to be really specific and what i mean by that is this i think it is uncomparable there is no other movie that was an all-time great movie that made a sequel 33 years later later the first sequel uh because most movies couldn't do a movie 33 years later because um, unless it's the black people in it, because black don't crack. Unless the crack is right. provided by the Reagan Bush administration. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> huh? You know? Uh, yeah, and I thought right. uh, and uh, one of the points we talked about while you were, go- while you were not here yet uh, was that um, the funeral of King Joffrey Joffer was something mm-hmm. I never seen. In. I've watched a lot, tons of movies. I'm a movie lover. Yeah, I've never seen a movie. A live, a live funeral. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. brilliant. It's like getting your roses before you die. You know what I mean? Yeah, most definitely. Um, yeah. Like I, like I said, I think it was, it was really like there's, I think it's like a little deeper with in terms of like controlling your death. You decide right. when you go. You decide. How you want to go out, and that's what and and that's what it is. And I think it, like if you look at it deeper, this is what we're talking about, like assisted suicide, really. Even though it wasn't like suicide, right. but you know what I'm saying? Like the whole right. debate about assisted suicide, like let people have control over what, how they die. The king did. I can I I rule this land and I control how I go out. Right. And that's right. pretty powerful when you're dealing with the senior citizen community. Right. Um, look, look. Also, in this movie, we are a reference to American black TV show characters from the seventies and eighties. You know what I mean? Right. Um, there's callbacks to Eddie Murphy stand up. Um, there's callbacks to music from the eighties and nineties. Um, the music uh, is made by Niall Rogers, who also looks like you, um, Tony Zamboni. If Franklin Jai and Niall Rogers had a baby, it would be you. Niall, Niall Rogers. I'm going to have to look him up. Niall Rogers has a documentary on Netflix. He is uh, maybe the most prolific uh, music producer other than Quincy Jones ever. Yep. Okay. If you look, okay. if you look at his, if you just look at just for him as a producer and see how many tracks he's been producer and writer and see how many, how many tracks he contributed to, it's ridiculous. It might be a but. I've heard a butt. that name. I've heard that name before. How about this? I, 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 
He did stuff for David Bowie. He did stuff for the Daft Punk dudes. He did. Yeah. He, oh wow. We are family. Oh, yeah. We are family. He did sheep. The freak, the sheep. Uh, oh, yeah. He does stuff for. Yeah. He does stuff for Michael Jackson. Like, he, he does another so one. much. Another yeah. one. Yeah. Is him. Uh, he did stuff right. for Pink. Okay. Uh, trying to think of songs that get playing in there. The freak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now you're bringing it to me because I used to read, you know, album covers and the whole nine. So, yeah, definitely. I remember seeing him on a lot of stuff. How about this? Good time. He did a lot of stuff with David Bowie. A lot of people don't know about that. He did a lot of stuff with David Bowie. Mm -hmm. Yep. So, he did the music Mm -hmm. for Freaks America. That's why the music is the bomb all the way throughout the movie. Right, right. I mean, there are some scenes oh. in the movie, if I'm not mistaken, where there are two jams in one scene. And the school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? I mean, it's like they're jamming on one song, and then you're like, you, you get into it, and also they got to switch it up. I, I mean, the album missed, the soundtrack miss must be the business. Shoot. And if you watch the credits all the way through, John Legend tears the credits up. Yeah. Oh, and hey, not wait a minute, Nile Rogers. Wow. Okay, okay, I see, I I see a picture of him now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He could, we probably related. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. He, 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 y'all definitely can. Ken. Um, you could be his son, though. <laughs> Miles, was it? Was was that with Niles Rogers, man? He did the music. He did the music. Huh? He did the music for coming to America. He is the music. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. So, one thing we were talking Mm -hmm. about was the budget, right? So, Uh uh, Carmela said that the original budget for the original coming to America was $35 million. Mm -hmm. That was today's money. They say it'd be $77 million, right? Uh huh. Really, when you and also you think about the differences between that movie and this movie, rated R, PG thirteen. But think about yeah. the costume, right? So in coming to America, they had to do costumes for the big crowd, you know, and in uh, the uh, here's your wife to be scene. But in this movie, they did the big costumes like three or four times. Mm-hmm. And everybody, every time you see them is in a new, incredibly wonderful costume. Well, how much is a budget right. with the costume? Okay. Probably one a thing, lot. Yeah, a lot. The one thing I could, and so that money went to costuming and... Uh, how, much did, how much did you say it cost? Back in 88, it cost $35 million, which if you put in inflation okay. for today, that would be $77 million. This wow. one cost $69 Right? And think about it. Wow. Eddie got a chunk of that. Right? Uh, uh, James Earl Jones got a chunk. Right? All the old actors got a chunk coming back. Mm-hmm. The new people got to mm-hmm. get a chunk. The costumes going to cost mm-hmm. a bunch of money. So that's why the movie, some people don't like the movie because it feels like it was done on the sound stage, and it was. Yeah. Because well, it wasn't. It wasn't. Both it was like. shot at Rick Ross's house. 
Right. And that's why it feels like a Tyler Perry movie. Yeah. Some of it was shot at Tyler well, I mean, Perry too. Okay. So it wasn't that, yeah, well, I mean, probably some of it, but I mean, it was mostly at Rick Ross's house. He, he's in yeah, it. <laughs> There's a picture of uh, well, Rick Eddie Ross Murphy's is in the film. Video, uh, uh-huh. uh, Martin Lawrence and Will Smith and Wesley Snipes on Tyler Perry's uh, studio set because both Oh, that picture! Yeah, I remember that. I remember that picture. I remember that picture of them all, all four together. Because chunks of this movie and Bad Boys Forever or whatever the title, it was actually a good. Movie. Yeah. Um, Bad Boys for Life. Yeah, Bad Boys for yeah. Life. Uh, that movie yeah. was actually pretty good. Uh, that was actually the last movie I saw in the theater. Yeah, my my nephew used to build sets for all those movies, but he, he, he stopped doing it. But yeah, he was, he, he built a set for uh, Shaft. Uh, now there's a couple different Shafts. There's the one with Samuel Jackson, the one that's on Pornhub. This is the, the new one. The new <laughs> one. The Pornhub. <laughs> that is funny. Does dude walk in with le- uh, in all leather and the black glasses and everything with the bald head and the baby oil and shit? <laughs> right. You know, black people, yeah, this would be a good sound check for Shaft walking down the street. That's some old breakdancing music. Yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> you have like two sixty-year-olds get. Okay, so I think that um, uh, we all have our favorite movies, but okay, so arguably the greatest sequel of all time is *Empire Strikes Back*. Of course. Okay. okay. But what is the greatest sequel of all time? Uh, non cliffhanger. Mm. Non cliffhanger. Yeah, because Best sequel of all time have to be something funny. Right, because think about it. it have to be all, funny. Uh, uh, Lord of the Rings leaves you with a cliffhanger. Uh, Star Wars leaves you with a cliffhanger. You know what the maybe the best mm-hmm. of all time is, but it leaves you with a cliffhanger. You know what it is? What Star Trek: The Wrath of Khan. Yeah, I, I, when he, yeah, when they they put dude in there, it just kind of threw me off. Yeah, Ricardo Montalban. Yeah, I didn't, I couldn't get out. I couldn't, yeah. Well, nah, nah, Mr. Rourke, nah, nah, man. What I'm saying is, what up, Chief I mean, I I don't remember a lot of people that I thought were great. You're too uh, smooth to be nerd. You know what I'm saying? Kind (laughs) of. No, what I'm saying is, I, I, Look who's talking to uh, Home Alone 2, uh, Ghostbusters 2, um, are all left in the original. Uh, yeah, Hard, yeah. But it, ain't, it ain't close to the original. Yeah, it was different. Right? Uh, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm still trying to... I didn't see Born, the fact... Born, the Born Legacies, the Born, the Borns, 
that's probably just you know just as good as or the Mission Impossible is one of those. You know what I mean? Something like that. But James Bond or James Bond or this classic, yeah, straight up James Bond. Leave it at that. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I mean, Kill Bill two, but it's really it's really just a continuation of the of the first movie. Right. Uh, uh, I'm to, I really can't think of any movies. Like uh, one of the things you talked about earlier in the show, uh, Tony, was about how people said that. Now, rarely do people even say that a sequel is better than the original, right? So I would argue mm-hmm. that Empire Strikes Back is better than the original, but it has the original. It's a continuation still, right? Uh, right. Right. Somebody said online that uh, the Planet of the Apes movie that was made in 2014, I think, was better than the mm-hmm. one made in 1964. And I'm like, yeah, well, that's animation. That's, you know, that's... Uh, well, of course. That's, that's true. That's probably uh, costuming and facial masks, you know, based off some of the stuff they did in either The Clumps or uh, Coming to America. Yeah, that's... You know? Right. Yeah, they, they, I mean, the skills back then were so basic. The technology today, I mean, you can make, you can, you could have a, a, a have a mask made in a damn three D printer. Right. How about, you know what I mean? America too. What about, uh, what about um, that computer generated elephant that walks between Eddie and his son? You know what I mean? Was that uh, really that, that? Oh, I forgot that that was, they they're not in Africa. They think, I don't. I thought it was a real elephant. computer <laughs> no, generated man. That was beautiful. I mean, incredible. Wow. So, I mean, that took money. You know what I mean? The right. lion, the computer generated lion, took money. Mm-hmm. You know, money and probably hundreds, if not thousands, of artists. To put that, you know, computer generate that thing, make it look that time. seamless. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, if you think about it, how could you get a lion to do that on cue? <laughs> It'd be pretty difficult. So yeah, I could see that, but it looks so real. It looks freaking real. So the, the moment when I realized that the movie was made for the international audience and not mm-hmm. uh, just America was. On that lion scene, when he goes, he puts the can up there, but he does not say the name of the can. He just goes, cat mm-hmm. food. And that was so they can green screen in uh, other regional favorite cat foods into his can. Yeah. Ooh. Think about that. Yeah, so they could put a Japanese cat can on there, uh, Chinese, whatever. Exactly. Exactly. How about this one? In the scene when Eddie Murphy goes back to uh, the Mighty Shop, uh, back to uh-huh. America for the second time, oh, and then he goes to the, uh, uh, all kind of spoilers here, to the, uh, the scene of the wedding. Uh-huh. Uh, if you really notice the way it was filmed, it's like a lot of uh, Christian cross in your face on that scene. Yeah. Right? That is up. Yeah. Center mass on the screen. Between Eddie 
and them talking for the cross. That again, uh-huh. by people and who knows who else that's for. You see what I'm saying? Right. Right. Uh, right. Of course, they got to put some church in there. <laughs> that's the only way to get. Yeah. Exactly. Definitely. So I want to talk. I want to talk about how how bad Arsenio Hall looks, man. He looks sick, man. Hey, man, Arsenio turned sixty-five. Black don't crack. He turned sixty-five, and they try to make him look like he was looking when he's twenty-something. Yeah. I mean, think about. I mean, just he he looked he looked olive colored. It just didn't look. He just he just didn't look right. Well, don't you, don't people start losing their color as they age? You know what I mean? They start fading. You know, I saw that in the interview yeah. with. He looks. With John, I mean, he looked. Yeah, he do, he looks. He looks sick, man. I I, I know plenty sixty-five year olds, and they don't look that bad <laughs> compared to what he looked like. Just well, maybe it was, I was uh, just like, wow. Compared was, to Eddie, how about that? Just just compared to Eddie by itself. You know, sure. he had the dad tummy. He had the dad belly. You know what I'm saying? But yeah, Arsenio looked like he was going to great grandfather, great great grandfatherhood. Right, right. I thought there were a lot of funny references in the in the, in the movie. Um, I thought, look, oh Arsenio, yeah. I mean, he might have been tired because he did uh, four mask roles. He had four roles in the movie. Right, yeah, so because he was at what he was, yeah, yeah, he's a he's a preacher, he was witch a voodoo dude, witch doctor, doctor. yeah, and so the bartender. Two, didn't he have two roles in the bartender, the, the bar barber shop? No, but you know what else about that no. whole movie? I think everybody's right. The original queen did not have a big role in the movie. She had a couple big no. scenes. But what I thought about it was, this is a little spoiler, I thought that um, having a scene where a woman kicks her husband out of the bedroom is rare in movies. Mm-hmm. You know, especially in oh, Africa. Especially, especially in Africa. I mean, because man is a right. man. He'll, right. he'll, he'll go, uh, well, send, send in number six. <laughs> he won't be, you know, Mad because right. his right. wife is about to rule. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. Have her beheaded, and the next one come in. Next, yeah. Come on now. Um, right. Yeah. There was that part of it, and then uh, I thought that was important for the world. I thought uh, yeah. I'm not a big capitalism fan, but uh, having the woman have the dream of having her own business uh, yeah. stuck in there. Uh, and any of those things that are women positive things that was in a scene that they can't take out of the movie without messing up the movie. Right. Then you got to go back to what Eddie Murphy said. This movie was the, one of the few movies ever, all black movies that was a hit all over the world. And it's because right. of the international theme of arranged marriages. And they go hit that again, right. add two or three extra layers on it, add a layer that a king can make his daughter the queen. Uh, women get their power. Right. She got the, the girls. Right. Got to You're fighting. The transition. The Man, the movie did a lot. Subtle right, things right, and right. overt things, you know, that uh, were made to be normal. You know what I mean? Right. 
Uh, I thought that uh, what, uh, Leslie Jones uh, adds a certain uh, uh, great energy to the movie. Uh, who? Leslie Jones, uh, the sister who plays uh, the prince's the mother. mother, the mother of the new prince. Uh, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh, of course. You put some swagger in there for sure. Some real queen stuff. You know, there yeah. are ever very few movies ever that had a movie that. Uh... So basically, look, there's a couple things happening in this movie. Arsenio and Tracy Morgan are at odds with each other, and the, uh, the the Queen Lisa and the mother of the new prince are at odds with each other. And because I think of editing out scenes, um, you don't see them reconcile. So that's what you're, there's, there's some storyline holes in the movie right there. Yeah. Right? Um, mm-hmm. I think they took out a lot of scenes of Eddie talking. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I thought that uh, look for a movie that they didn't want to make in the first place. I'm, I'm glad they made it because it gave us a chance to talk about a lot of different things. And I'm gonna since we well, we can talk about a whole map tomorrow, but let's call this who's yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, we'll do whole map tomorrow tomorrow's show. Hopefully, uh, anything else about this? Let's go ahead and wrap this up, and uh, we'll call this the Coming to America episode. Uh, that way we covered that, and then um, I don't know. Uh, I know you probably don't, um, Carmella. Tony, are you a basketball fan at all over the years? Oh, yes. So I, I was as a kid. I just, I just, I just lost interest in it. I grew up in a whole family that everybody played basketball except me and one other cousin that was an artist. Well, today is the day. Uh, normally in a regular non-pandemic year that uh, they would just be advertising the new black movie because today is the NBA All-Star. It's All-Star. And mm-hmm. because of the pandemic, they're doing the whole All-Star in one day. So today, I think like at 3 o'clock Pacific, they're doing the three-point competition. Then mm-hmm. they do the game. Then they're doing the dunk competition mm-hmm. at halftime. How about that? Mm. So yeah, that's, that's a lot of work for one day. Which I mean, exactly. they probably well. They have, it's just the fact of the matter is they they can spread out the money. Um, well, the, in well, a normal they time, they could spread it out. Yeah, they could do three days. They would do the rookie games and they do the celebrity games. Right. Kevin Hart was the winner of the MVP of the celebrity game four years in a row because that's when he mm-hmm. releases. Couple with uh, The Rock, one with Will Ferrell, and you know another one, right? Um, uh, today, what you'll probably see is I bet you Arsenio might pop up at the game. Who knows? Okay. Yeah. So uh, the game is in Atlanta. They're doing one night only, so they were partying their ass off last night. LeBron picked the team. Mm. Kevin Garnett picked the team, uh, and they added. Well, Embiid and... They added some player to the All-Star game that had never made the All-Star game, the All-Star team. So, for a special thing for him. And, uh, see, who's old right now? It's somebody. It might be somebody's last... Embiid, 
and and uh, Simmons. Um, COVID, they 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 are probably not gonna they're not gonna play because of COVID. Um, their barber gave them or you know had had tested positive or something like that. So once again, uh, that's yeah. that's the kind of thing that's just switched up. You getting your hair done the other day? I don't know who without a super mask like you had is me sitting there letting the barber breathe on there for thirty minutes. This has been yeah, your. I always wear a mask. The best. You got to. Yeah, I, I wear. Mean, I, I, I like I said. It's, I got friends that be looking at me strange. And I don't know where you been, man. <laughs> you don't live in my house. I. This is about my family, not about you. Exactly. Look, that's why I only hang out. I've been a hermit the last, you know, little mm-hmm. while, and I only go visit hermits. You know what I mean? I right. visit some people I know ain't going nowhere. You know what I mean? Right. Right. Um, yeah, I got one friend I go visit. That's it. What did you say, Carmela? I got too many people been being reckless. I went only been to one friend's house this entire year or so. I yeah. I only go to work and go home. <laughs> I don't exactly. I don't go. I have exactly. a store, right. but I don't go into other stores. Like I just won't do it. And yeah. I don't understand why people think that. COVID magically disappears or that it's no big deal because, you know, you your neighbor's dying from it and you just don't give a crap? I don't know. I, I'm just well, so know, baffled by people's attitudes. You know, uh, right. first, I thought it might be fake until uh, one of my first great friends said that his ex-wife's brother went to Mardi Gras way back at the beginning came home and killed their dad with the COVID. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, man, he ain't going to never get over that. You know what I mean? How? Never. 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 I mean, he couldn't, even, he couldn't even have a family member looking at him without him thinking that they're thinking that he, he, you know, he cured the patriarch. You killed you know? Grandpa. Mm-hmm. He can never get over that. I mean, I feel like I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't even know the brother. But just hearing the story, my empathy level went to, to 11. You know what I mean? Cause, right. Because it's not something you're going to ever get over. Right? You, right. you went to go look, uh, you went to go throw, throw bees and look at breasts, and now you kid your dad. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, my father said that, uh, he's staying with my brother, and he said that uh, my, some of my brother's kids went to go spend the night over uh, somebody's house and came back to the house and he said the family ain't seen him in months <laughs> at all. Mm-hmm. You know, he was like one of my, my nephews, his grandson, you know, get him some food and, and wipe it down with the, you know, you know, whatever. And he probably, he probably, I know my dad, he probably wipes it down again. It's, it's all good stuff. Uh, <laughs> anyway, we did an hour and a half. That's probably enough. Uh, thank you all uh, for joining us on uh, this episode of uh, it's your fault for listening. We'll be back tomorrow with Science Monday. Uh, I'm sure I have some topics ready, uh, and we'll talk about maybe or or uh, depending on where I watch the NBA All Star Game. I watched it at the house. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We might watch the game, talk live about it. You know, just talk shit about the game. But that would be a lot of dead air, dead space, and you'd have to almost be watching it yeah, with us. Yeah. Think of the game later, so forget that. Uh, Right. Uh, 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 thank you, Carmela. 
Thank you, Tony. Uh, coming to America. Uh, look, if you want to compare it to all the movies ever made, yeah, it ain't shit. Okay, but if you want to compare it to movies in this category, it's uncomparable. Nothing compares to it. It's, it's uh, put it like this. In the pandemic, it's definitely watchable. Okay? Right. Um, could, uh, I don't think there's anything that can compare it to the original. Uh, the original is a black love story of which there, at the time, had been so few that were... Mm. Uh, it, how about this? Is the, isn't it the first box office smash black love story ever? How about that? A black a black romantic comedy, you know what I mean? Where uh, where somebody black gets to ride off with the with their uh, with their with their black love. I think that's very rare in our world. Thank you both. Uh, Take care. This has been it's your fault for listening. We're gonna take it out with uh, my joke about uh, about weed. Uh, I'm really glad to be back in Seattle. Uh, I love the people. I love my friends. I love the weed. <laughs> I've been in some places with some really bad weed. I was in uh, I was in Montana. <laughs> yeah. And after the show, the guy said, "You want some weed?" I said, "Is it any good?" He said, "Where are you from?" I said, "Seattle." He said, "Oh, you don't want none of this." <laughs> I was in uh, Arizona, took a hit, and it was so bad, I realized that I was going to get a sore throat before I got high. (laughs) (laughs) Name for me, if you will, some of the more famous weed smokers of all time. Jimi Hendrix. Jimi Hendrix. Bob Marley. Bob Marley. Snoop. Bill Clinton. They need president or pussy, right? <laughs> I was watching a documentary about jazz, and on there they said that Louis Armstrong used to smoke weed every day, all day long, and they asked him why. And he said that it was the 1930s and 40s, and the marijuana was his insulator against the pain of racism. I'm thinking, of course. That's what Louis meant. When he said, I see trees of green <laughs> and blossom white, pass the pine, but pack it Thank you. Who's watching your home when you're not there? Protect your home with a security system monitored by ADT, the leader in home security. Just call Protect Your Home, your authorized ADT dealer. Call now and get $850 of hardware and activation for free. Call 1-877-653-8844. That's 1-877-653-8844. installation charge. 36-month monitoring agreement at $35.99 per month. Call for terms and conditions and Protect Your Home license number. Subject. Hey, I got cut off. You got dumped here. Take a listen. Um, Think about that. Somebody just wrote that shit down on the thing, added the line, stopped sperms in their track, and thought they could call it something new. 
Check your list. Well, I'm saying the only person really that's, a, that's far away from this is Whoopi. Coming out on the Discovery Channel, uh, come out in a few months, is a start. brand new male version of the birth control pill. Men are going to be able to start taking the pill. Scientists are very close to developing a male birth control pill. My question is, what woman in her right mind is going to trust? Yeah. <laughs> the question is, would you trust the man to be the one responsible? We can't even put a seat down without being right. <laughs> you can't even trust a man to put the toilet seat down. You're going to trust him to take a little bit. And as much will I protect, it'll be easy for us to go, uh, no, baby, I'm happy to come. I'm taking a Because does this sound trustworthy to anybody? Uh, I don't have a condom, baby, but don't worry, I took my pill. <laughs> people have to understand that you know it's not a comedian, and I and I think people can even if they're not comedians. But your brain is fucked up now. You're fucked up now because you yep. can't you can't clearly tell that joke and be confident about it anymore. It's it's over. Anytime you I see a ever... woman, anytime I see a woman who might have watched the View. I don't know if they saw my joke on that show. I'm serious about that. Joy would know this. Whoopi would know this. I don't know how much stand-up Sherry has actually done to really know that, okay?